You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. And we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. All right. Well, like I said earlier, my name is Travis. I'm pastor of preaching and theology here at Grace Point Church Northwest. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Jonah chapter four. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along, feel free to download the YouVersion app. All you have to do is type in Grace Point Church Northwest in the events tab there, and all the notes will be in there for you to follow along. Also, if this is your first time joining us this evening, I want to be the first to welcome you. We really want you to know that Grace Point Church Northwest is a place where anyone can come as they are, no matter where they are on their spiritual journey, to discover and strengthen relationship with Jesus. And if this is your first time joining us, all we're going to ask you to do is pull out your phone and text the number you see up on the screen. I believe it's 710-7411. Once you do that, go ahead and fill out that information. And this week, we will drop a free gift off to your house. And like I say every week, we are just like Amazon. We are going to knock, we're going to wave, and then we're going to leave. We're not going to linger. But unlike Amazon, what we drop off is really free. So if you would like a tumbler to get through these hot days because they've been miserable this past week, amen. I don't know if we got any relief coming anytime soon, do we? Possibly next week, maybe. We'll see if the weatherman's telling the truth. But if you would like to have a tumbler to get through those hot days or get a $5 gift card to get a nice coffee, we just wanna give that to you. Just say thanks for joining us. Pray with me and then we are gonna finish out the book of Jonah today, okay? Give yourselves a hand. You're gonna finish an entire book of the Bible. Right on. Cool, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you give us through your son, Jesus. And I just pray right now, Father, as we go through this text, that your word rests on our hearts as you see fit. God, I don't know the hearts of those in this room, you do, but we just wanna put ourselves in a posture of humility, just asking you, God, to speak. Holy Spirit, open our minds and our hearts and our ears to the word. Give us illumination. Help us to see what it is you want us to see. And I just pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will just be pleasing in your sight for you are my rock and my redeemer and my Lord. God, I love you and I just thank you for your word and just ask you to work for your glory, our joy, and the defeat of the enemy in our lives and in our city. We pray all in Jesus' name, amen. Now this afternoon, we're gonna be finishing our series through the book of Jonah that we've called The Rebellious Prophet. And today we're gonna see that God is slow to anger, but he's abounding in love. When my youngest daughter was about two years of age, she really enjoyed playing hide and seek with me. And she would come up to me and she would say, Daddy, find me. Now my daughter didn't really know how necessarily to play hide and seek because she wouldn't ask me to count. She wouldn't ask me to close my eyes. She wouldn't ask me to leave the room. As a matter of fact, what she would do is she would take her blanket and in my line of sight, she would go and hide. Sometimes she would hide on the couch, sometimes under the table, sometimes in the hallway. Once she was secure and had that blanket over top of her, she would say, I'm ready, find me. And then what would I do? Act like I didn't know where she was, though I knew where she was. And I would go up and I would grab her. Now, when I would pick her up in her blanket, I would move her to where I wanted her to go. So if she was hiding on the couch, I might move her into the hallway. Or if she was in the hallway, I might move her on the couch. And every time I would move her, she would take her blanket off and she'd go, no. And she would go back to the place she was originally hiding. So if I took her from the couch to the hallway, she'd go, no, I hide on the couch. Or if I took her from the hallway to the couch, she'd go, no, I hide on the hallway. You see, no matter where she went, I knew where she was. And throughout this book, we have seen that Jonah is on the run and God is runs after him. But you've got to notice the power of God in this text. Jonah is like a two-year-old. God didn't panic when Jonah ran away. 
It wasn't like he called the angels together and said, guys, get a search party together. Where is Jonah? No, God pursued Jonah by throwing a smart bomb of a storm at him to slow him down. He then appointed a fish to swallow him up. And on our text today, we're gonna see that he appoints a plant, a worm, and an eastern, eastern wind towards Jonah. You see, just like with my daughter, God knows exactly where Jonah is because God put him there. And why does he do that? It's because we're gonna see at the end of this book, God doesn't give up on his prophet. He has him right where he wants him to be because God wants to continue to teach him. So how will Jonah respond? Look with me in Jonah chapter four, verse one. Here's what it reads. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Now, if you were with us last week, we saw that Jonah got his second chance. He goes into Nineveh and he preaches an absolutely terrible message. He basically says 40 days and God is gonna destroy this place. And with that, all the people in Nineveh, rich and poor, young and old, those in high places and low places, what do they do? They all repent of their sins, turn from their evil ways, and they trust in God for mercy. And what does God do? He sees their reaction to this sermon and he sees that they repent, that they turn from their ways and he relents of bringing about the disaster he said he would do. Now we have to appreciate what this was like. And I told you guys last week, this would be like the mayor of Las Vegas walking out of city hall, getting on the news and looking at all of us Las Vegans and say every single Las Vegan come out of your home right now, put on sackcloth, sit in ashes, which is a posture of repentance and mourning and cry out to God for mercy. We think of that and that would be amazing, but perhaps a better analogy for us to understand Jonah's context, this would be like somebody the equivalent of possibly ISIS asking God to forgive them. Or possibly somebody like the Nazi regime regime saying, God, we're sorry, please forgive us. How would you react if that took place? If this took place in Las Vegas, many of us would go, that's amazing. But what if God decided to be gracious to ISIS? What if God decided to be gracious to the Nazis? Or how about God decided to be gracious to a political party you don't identify with, like the Republicans or the Democrats or the far left or the far right? Then we're not so sure. You see, in this verse, it says that Jonah literally thought what God was doing here was ra'ah. It's a Hebrew word that means evil. He's walking around the city. He sees all these Ninevites bowing down in a posture of repentance and mourning and crying out to God. Even the animals cry out to God. I imagine this cry was so loud, it went outside the city walls. And Jonah witnessed this and he becomes furious. When my kids were little, and not just to call out one of them, each and every one of them pretty much did this. But when we would tell them as parents to pick up their toys, almost every single one of them put their fist down and went, never. And then they would walk and they would literally walk into a wall. And we would laugh at that, and I'm sure we'll, they'll work it out in counseling someday, but they would just look at us and go, never, and they would walk right into a wall. What were they saying? I'm not wanting to do this. I'm not for this. And that's Jonah's attitude in this text. He is absolutely ticked. He never wanted this to happen. And just like my kids, he keeps walking into wall after wall after wall. First, it's a storm, then it's a fish, We're gonna see it's a plant, then a worm, and then an Eastern wind. Why does Jonah keep walking into all these walls? It's because Jonah discovered that God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. Think about it. Jonah discovered that God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. 
He was absolutely scandalized by how inclusive God's mercy is. He thought it was gravely wrong for God to show mercy and grace to these wicked people. And we see that the reason Jonah didn't go to Nineveh was not because he didn't fear failure, but because he feared success. Listen to what it says in verse two. And he prayed to the Lord and said, "'O Lord, is this not what I said "'when I was yet in my country?' That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Again, we see Jonah use his favorite word throughout this book, and what is that? I am I. Nine times, nine to 10 times in this prayer, he uses it. But we also see Jonah's idolatry in this text. What does he say? Is this not what I told you, God, when I was in my country? I mean, literally, is this Jonah's country? No, it's God's country. With that, he goes on to tell us the reason he didn't go to Nineveh in the first place. And he ends up quoting the most popular verse in the Bible. It's the verse that the Bible quotes of itself most often. In the book of Exodus, we see that the Israelite people were 400 years in slavery in Egypt. God miraculously intervened in their life and he called those people out of that country to be his people and he would be their God. And God makes a covenant with them. Yet when he makes that covenant with them, what do they do? They break it almost instantaneously by worshiping a golden calf. And God comes to him in grace again, and here's what he does. He renews his covenant. And listen to how he, what he says about himself in Exodus 34, six. It says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jonah said, God, I knew you were gracious to those who don't deserve it. God, I know that you are merciful, not giving people what they deserve, loving people like with the compassion of a mother for their child. Also know that you're slow to anger, you're patient, you're not quick tempered, and you're also abounding with love, with a said, that's the Hebrew word. It means like a never giving up, unbreaking, always forever type love. Jonah had the right theology. He had the right doctrine but he had the wrong heart. Don't miss what Jonah is doing here. He is trying to justify himself. And how does he do that? By trying to put the fault back on God. My kids will say to me things like this. Well, if she didn't do that, I wouldn't have hit her. Or or my son will say, well, if they didn't make fun of me, I wouldn't have done that. Kids on the soccer team that I coach will say, if they didn't pass the ball that way, then I wouldn't have yelled at them. But more often than not, what they are saying is something bad about the other. Jonah is saying, God, if you weren't so good, I would not have ran away. I knew you would forgive these people. And the worst part about it is you use me to do it. Jonah is so frustrated. If God's call would have been for him to go to Nineveh and to proclaim a demonstration of of destruction, Jonah would have been the first one on the plane or the boat to deliver that news. And the reason he ran was because Jonah was okay with God saving people as long as they're us and not them. He's okay with God being gracious to his people, renewing his covenant with his people, but not those people. So Jonah looks at God and says, God, if I had to do it all over again, I would run away farther and faster. But don't miss what God says about himself here. It does not say that God is slow to love. What does it say? God is slow to anger and he's abounding with love. So many people think that God is up in heaven with a lightning bolt in his hand, ready to smite us, eager to smite us. 
that God is up in heaven and he's eager to drop the hammer. Yet that's not what God, how God describes himself. God says he is slow to anger and abounding in love and that he has to be driven to anger. And think about how hard it is to drive God to anger. How many of us, if we were honest, would give up on Jonah, at least at this point? We'd probably say, dude, I'm done with you. I'm moving on. I'll find somebody more trustworthy. Yet no matter how many times Jonah rejects God, what does God do? He keeps coming after him. And it gets worse. Jonah basically looks at God and says, God, if you're gonna forgive people that wicked, then here's the deal. I don't wanna live in your world. Look what it says in verses three through four. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? What is overwhelming here is Jonah's inability to forgive, even though both he and his people have been forgiven so much. And so God asks them a very thought-provoking question. He says, do you do well to be angry? Is it right to be angry that the same mercy and grace I showed you and your people is shown to somebody else? Many of us, if we're honest, we're kind of like Jonah in this. We struggle to forgive and we struggle to show God's forgiveness to others. And I think what God wants us to do here is just slow down and let him teach us something like he does Jonah. In no way do I wanna downplay the pain that many of us have felt with things that have happened to us. And I don't wanna disregard the situations and the experiences. I'm sure they are horrendous. But I want us to slow down here and just think about what God is saying. That a posture of unforgiveness is not what he desires for us. On December 1st, 1997, Missy Jenkins was in Heath High School in Kentucky. That's where I'm originally from. I was 17 years old and I don't forget this but it was the first time that somebody ever walked into a school with a gun and, and started shooting. She was there around the flagpole with her friends when Michael Carneal came in and opened fire. Three people died, five people were injured. One of those was Missy. She was struck in her T4 vertebrae and she was, she's paralyzed still to this day from the chest down. Yet when you read her story, she will say almost instantaneously that she found herself in a posture of forgiveness towards Michael. She went on to become a school counselor and she wanted to help kids, and I quote, like the one who shot her. And she writes this, Michael made a terrible mistake. He is serving the consequence of what he did, but there are ways he can give back and I'd love to be the person to help him. You see, I agree with Missy that Michael should serve his jail time. He should serve the consequence of what he did. But I also agree with her when she says that hatred and bitterness is a wasted emotion. Dr. Archibald Hart says it like this. Anger is like a boomerang. It always comes back to hurt the one that throws it. Jonah doesn't realize how much he has been forgiven, that he is really no different than these Ninevites. Like many of us, it seems like he's playing a comparison game. Jonah doesn't think he has no sin in his life. Of course he knows he has sin, but he's saying, I'm not nearly as bad as these big, bad Ninevites. And notice what his bitterness is doing. It is not hurting Nineveh at all. All those people we're gonna see are in there crying out to God, rejoicing in God. And they're not in there going, how dare you think of us, Jonah, like that? Your thoughts are so hurtful. They're not thinking that at all. What we're seeing is that Jonah's posture of unforgiveness is not hurting them, it's alienating him from his God. So God asks him some question and notice that Jonah does not answer. What does he do? He walks out of the city. Verse five, 
Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, he should see what would become of the city. So Jonah heads out of the city east, and that's very significant, we'll see at the end here. He heads out, he makes a booth, and he sits under it, and I believe he is sitting under it, holding out hope that God might change his mind, that he'll throw down some wrath on this city. And what Jonah is learning in this moment is what you and I need to embrace, and it's just simply this. God's grace and mercy is not something you and I earn. It's something that he gives. And we do not get to pick and choose who God saves. Jonah realizes this and he walks out east of the city in judgment, hoping that God will smite them. This is a prophet of God. How would you expect a prophet to react? Most of us would think he would go back into the city, right? Help those new pe people those with their new faith, their new God-fearing faith in God. But what Jonah does is he goes and he makes sure he sets up a booth far enough away that he is not impacted by the flames if God changes his mind. So Jonah sits in judgment. He refuses to answer the Lord's questions. And so God responds to his no answer with an object lesson. Look at verse six. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So God appoints a storm. God appoints a fish. And now God appoints a plant to teach his prophet. And apparently Jonah's structure was so shabby that God had to help him out. We see in verse one that Jonah is greatly displeased when he sees what's taking place in Nineveh. All these people repenting, crying out to God. He's greatly displeased. But now we finally see that Jonah is greatly pleased. What does that mean? It's the first time in this entire narrative we see that Jonah is actually happy. I mean, he's like Pharrell, you know, walking through the streets or like whoever, you know, grew in Despicable Me Too going, I'm so happy. He's finally got something that he can rejoice in. Now, Jonah doesn't see the error in this. So God wants to make it really clear. Look at verses seven through eight. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. He asked, what he might, he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Just as Jonah begins to feel some happiness, God takes it away. He appoints a worm to come in and destroy this plant, which that's gotta be a freaky worm for it to happen that fast. He then appoints a very hot Eastern wind that scorches Jonah to the point that he's about to pass out. And while God is doing all this, we need to ask this question, is God angry? I would argue that he's not. Is God like a middle school kid who takes a magnifying glass and tortures bugs? No. What God is doing is exactly what I said a few weeks ago. The most serious of conditions that you and I have in our lives need the most aggressive of treatments. About a year and a half ago, a buddy of mine became really ill. He was, he was dizzy, he could not stand up in his apartment. And so Pastor John and I rushed him to the ER. And while we were in there, it was discovered that my buddy had a brain tumor. Now, when that doctor came in and looked at him, do you think he was all real, just nonchalant, high-fiving him? Like, you're gonna get through this, man. It's gonna be awesome. We'll get this thing. No, he looked at my friend and he basically said, you got a serious condition and we need to study this. We need to figure out what's going on. 
And sadly, he didn't make it out of it. A few years ago, when I was going through a tough go in my life, I went out to Colorado to talk to this counselor. And while I'm out there, Jess and I are there, we're talking to this guy and about day three, I remember looking at my wife and said, if he doesn't stop talking about me, I'm gonna make up something really bad about you and I'm gonna tell him you're gonna lie about it. We just gotta get him off of me. Like he was just coming at me, but he was relentless. And he kept coming at me and he said, Travis, if you don't figure out what's going on in your life right now, you're gonna be a real like jerk to work for, except he used a lot more colorful language. You see, why did he do that? He wasn't doing that to harm me. He was doing that to heal me. He knew how hard my heart was and he needed to use powerful language to get through. So in an act of grace, God takes the very thing Jonah has finally found some happiness in and he takes it from him so he can see the greater happiness that is right before him. God is not trying to hurt Jonah. He's not trying to harm Jonah. He's trying to heal him. He's not trying to destroy him. He's trying to save him. It's at this point, it would make sense for Jonah just to simply say, God, I'm sorry. This Eastern wind is so hot, it's terrible. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Forgive me, I'm sorry. But instead, what does he say? Kill me. I don't even, I don't even wanna be here anymore. So God repeats his question to Jonah. Listen to verses nine through 11. But, Jonah, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor which did, did you make, grow, make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, as, and also much cattle. God asked Jonah, is it right to be angry? And Jonah looks back at God and go, you're right. I, I, I do have a right. This is justified for me to be angry. And with that, God does a comparison game. He compares Jonah's plant with all the people in Nineveh. He says, you pity this plant. You did not plant it. You did not water it. You've never gardened it. You had no time to get attached to it. And you did nothing to make it grow. It was nothing more than a weed that grew beside you, Jonah. It should mean nothing to you. However, think about the city of Nineveh. There's 120,000 people in that city, bro. They are made in my image. They don't know right from wrong, left from right. They don't know their left shoe from their right shoe. They are utterly lost. And if you don't care about the people, Jonah, what about the cattle? Aren't they more worthy or aren't they better than at least this plant? And if Jonah can care for a weed, God has the right to care for a city with people made in his image. And I believe if Jonah really loved God, he would love those whom God loves. They are to be pitied more than this puny plant. And don't miss this. The Ninevites are, but so is Jonah. When my kids were little, um, we read them this book called The Runaway Bunny. And because we have some kids in here, I thought it'd be fun to read The Runaway Bunny to you. And so it's gonna be up on the screen and now it's gonna be story time with Pastor Travis. Just don't fall asleep, okay? So here we go, page one, it's up there. It says, once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I'm running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you for you are my little bunny. 
If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I will become a fisherman and I will fish for you. And you can see a picture right here of mom fishing for her son, which is a little weird if we're honest, okay? He says, if you become a fisherman, said the little bunny, I will become a rock on the mountain high above you. If you become a rock on a mountain high above me, said his mother, I will be a mountain climber and I will climb to where you are. And then there she is climbing up to her son who's now a rock, okay? If you become a mountain climber, said the little bunny, I'll I will be a crocus in a hidden garden. If you become a crocus in a hidden garden, said his mother, I will be a gardener and I will find you. And there she is. Anton, wake up. No, I'm just playing. If you are a gardener and find me, said the little bunny, I will be a bird and fly away from you. If you become a bird and fly away from me, said his mother, I will be a tree that you come home to. There you go. Mom turned into a tree. We're almost done. If you become a tree, said the little bunny, I will become a sailboat and I will sail, sail away from you. If you become a sailboat and sail away from me, said his mother, I will become a wind and blow you where I want you to go. And there she is. If you become the wind and blow me, said the little bunny, I will join a circus and fly away on a flying trapeze. If you go flying on a flying trapeze, said his mother, I will be a tightrope walker and I will walk across the air to you. And there she is walking across. And let's see. If you become a tightrope walker and walk across the air, said the bunny, I'll become a little boy and run into your house. If you become a little boy and run into a house, said the mother bunny, I will become your mother and I will catch you in my arms and hug you. And there she is hugging her boy. And then this is where it stuck last time because I think there's still like food on this. <clears throat> Shuck said the bunny, I might as well stay where I am and be your little bunny. And so he did. Have a carrot, said the mother bunny. Now, why do I tell you this story? It's because as I was preparing this, I was reminded of this, that basically what we see in here is very similar to the story of Jonah. Just like this mother did not give up on her bunny, God has not given up on his prophet and God has not given up on you. You see, we read that Jonah went out of the East Gate. Remember that, it's important. He went out of the East Gate in what? Judgment. Yet we see that Jesus carried a cross out of the East Gate, not to judge, but to save. In Hebrews 13, 12, we read this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. You see, when we ran away from God, God didn't throw a storm at us. He didn't send a fish to swallow us. He didn't send a plant, a worm, or even an Eastern wind. But God sent something so much, or better yet, someone who is so much superior than these things. He sent his son in the flesh, came down here to earth, lived a perfect life for us and instead of us, dying on a cross, not just for us, but instead of us. But he rose again from the dead and at this moment, right now, is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. And all of those who trust in him, get what? Trust in him and not in themselves, what? They get the right to become children of God, adopted into God's family. You see, God is relentless in his love for you, that he would send his son to die for you and instead of you so that through him, you could become a son or daughter of his. People ask me, they say, did Jonah ever figure this out? 
And truthfully, I don't know. I don't, I don't think we see that in the text, but I can tell you what I think. I think there is very good evidence that Jonah either wrote this story or dictated this story to someone. And as we read these four chapters, we see nothing but an extremely prideful man. And I don't think this man who is so prideful could write himself in such a bad light unless he what? He experienced the steadfast, has said love of God. So what about you? Do you know that love? And are you like Jonah and running right now? I pray that if God has to send a storm into your life or you experience what it's like to be inside of a fish though that you can never be inside of it, or if God takes away that thing that which you're cherishing, if he does it, I pray that you see it, not as a God who's up there just getting joy out of harming you because God is not here to harm you. God is here to heal you. He's come to rescue you. He has come to bring you back to him to fill you up with a greater happiness than anything in this world can offer you. And so the question is just simply this, do you know that love, that has said love of God, that unbreaking, never giving up, always and forever love? You see, that love is shown to Ninevites who are licentious and outlaws, but that same love is also shown to the religious like Jonah who thought he was justified in what he was doing. But God was relentless in showing him, no, you are wrong, come back to me. Why? Because God loves Ninevites and God loves Jonas. And all of us, I would argue, can fit in one of those two camps. Do you know his love? Are you resting in his love? And if not, why not tonight? Let me pray for you. God, we love you. And I just pray that as your word just comes out and just rests on our hearts, I pray for your will to be done in us. We pray in Matthew, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God, we just ask for your kingdom to come into our hearts and that your will be done in our hearts. For some of us, that is turning from a life of running away. For some of us, that is giving up something that we honestly treasure more than you. For others, it's by trying to earn that which you have given. And I just know in my life, God, it seems like I'm constantly in between all three of those. That my heart is prone to wander, I can feel it. Leave the God I love, but I thank you, God, that by your spirit, you woo me back to you. And so I just pray that you do that for us. Help us to rest in your love because your love is better than life. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.